and welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Bree. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. Cheers, queers. Today on the Big Gay Agenda, we are talking with Robbie Taylor Hunt. Robbie is the intimacy coordinator who has worked on many projects, including Matriarch, You, and Red, White, and Royal Blue. Welcome to the podcast, Robbie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. We have been dying to talk to somebody with your job because it's just (laughs) so fascinating. I mean, the first time you hear it, you're like, what the heck is that? (laughs) So can you tell us what does an intimacy coordinator do? Totally. So... Um, intimacy coordinators are basically there to facilitate and choreograph intimate content. Intimate content is a huge umbrella and a subjective umbrella for different people. People typically think that we're talking simulated sex and nudity. They are the big ones, of course, and kissing sometimes people think of, but we're actually there for kind of anything which someone might consider to be intimate action. So like physical touch, particularly kind of erotic or sensual physical touch, but really any physical touch. Um, medical scenes, uh, scenes of bodily functions, uh, childbirth, you know, there's really a lot that can go under that umbrella. Um, and we're there with sort of two hats on. So I think of the kind of safety and well-being hat, making sure that people are happy and comfortable working within their boundaries, that, uh, that everyone's communicating clearly, um, that people are kind of happy and, and clear with proud of the work that they're making. And then the kind of choreographic movement hat. So with more of the creative lens, how can we do justice to this moment of the story? How can we make this make sense for these characters and the script that that furthers the the narrative in a way that we want it to, to happen? So um, they're the kind of key tenets of the work. Um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I guess, question, how do you train to do intimacy coordinating? I'm just curious, like, what is the training for that look like yeah so there's different pathways for different people um but it is a role that requires proper training and a really rigorous understanding of the practice before you go into it obviously people are putting a lot of faith and and trust in you it can be something where you're you know meeting people and quite quickly having to establish a sense of like okay you're going to put some real trust in me to make sure this process goes smoothly and so we need to make sure as a community that there is um, a proper training process and experience that comes into that so that for the sake of the industry, for the sake of those performers, particularly that we're working with, people feel supported. Um, people train in, in different ways, in the different training programs, which have slightly different um, capacities. But yeah, I personally, I, I train with a company called Intimacy for Stage and Screen, where you apply sort of having to already have a certain level of experience. So I my background's in theatre and I was working as a director and, and facilitator of workshops and working with actors and movement capacities and fight capacities, like fight direction. Um, so I sort of had the kind of movement understanding and safety, well, like physical safety, particularly with fight. Um, and then I was uh, volunteering with a brilliant organisation who are now called Beyond Equality. So with that, we're sort of um, running workshops with boys and young men around consent and gender-based violence and masculinity and so it was had a facilitation and consent language and that sort of um, uh, fed into it as well. And then with that training program with Intimacy for Stage and Screen, that was a kind of across a year. We have like long weekends, weekends rather across that year spread throughout and the sort of work you do in between uh, where you really um, build a robust sense of consent and communication and closure practices and uh, choreographic tricks and modesty garments and, and all sorts. And then as you sort of start to work, you then will get sort of mentorship support or um, peer support as you begin to work in the industry. But I was in the sort of, not the very earliest days, but sort of earlier days. And it's great to see that over the years, there's an increasingly robust sense of what that training looks like in the US, intimacy directors and coordinators and um, TIE and and also there's lots of various training bodies. I won't know the the ins and outs of them in North America. who have like, you know, now really robust sense of training, it seems. And in the UK, there's various training bodies. Um, Moving Body Arts in the UK have just announced their training program for, um, which will launch pretty soon. Um, and They're brilliant. So there are really in, like brilliant educators making sure that we have the kind of next generation of intimacy coordinators. Um, yeah. So how long has 
intimacy coordinators been a thing? Because it seems fairly recent. Yeah, so the first sort of known intimacy coordinator on a TV project, to my knowledge, was Alicia Rodas in 2017 on The Deuce, season two, I think, um, in the US. And then the UK, sort of 2018, we were getting it. So that's like pretty recent. I, I don't know if that's longer than you thought or, or not. Um, but because of COVID as well, that sort of then means that even though it's sort of technically five, six years, it's sort of not really. Um, but before that... I mean, Tonya Cena in the noughties, I think like 2006 or seven, apologies, Tonya, um, was, had written her masters about intimate choreography and sort of beginning to try and figure out working with actors in this capacity. Adam Noble, um, 2011, was writing for a kind of fight and stunts magazine, I believe, about sort of staging sexual violence and then working on sort of extreme and intimate choreography and, and how he went about that, choreographing that. I'm from New Zealand originally and, and have worked with the um kiwis and helped to set up intimacy coordinators out and equity new zealand in like i think it was like 2015 or something like pretty early did a sort of um talk with actors and with um movers and shakers in the industry about working on intimacy um to try and establish practice so although it sort of only got formalized in the last few years of course people have been trying to figure it out in their own ways there's been movement directors and choreographers and fight directors and stunt coordinators who have been having to deal with intimate scenes and have been trying their best to make it work as well as directors and costume departments often it would fall on them fall to them trying like making nudity feel safe um basically as long as there has been like live performance and theater there has been senses of intimacy and there have been people dealing with it in some way and that is sometimes been very bad and sometimes been good and sometimes been fine and, and everything in between. So um, yes, more formally last couple of years, but I kind of like to give a sense of that there is that history and that legacy and there've been people working on it in all sorts of ways who might not even be kind of properly known about or, or credited in this, in the journey of what it's taken to get intimacy coordination to where it is now. Yeah, it seems like it, because you mentioned like communication and trust building between performers and whoever's supervising, seems like that would, that would be a huge benefit to have a point person that is specifically in charge of that. Um, so like, what, what are instances in which like the intimacy coordinator would like, I guess, step in on behalf of the performer to kind of intervene, um, like on a project? Yeah, it's a really good point what you say, because... I think some directors feel like they work really well with actors. They have a real good sense of trust. Costume teams can sometimes be like, look, we really know what we're doing. We have a really good sense with the with the performers of what this is. Movement folks, like any, there's lots of or producers. Like, I think sometimes people feel a bit threatened that we're turning up to be like, you're being terrible. We're here to do it right, which isn't true at all. Like they might have an amazing relationship and be really good at dealing with it. But ultimately they're doing so many things like costume departments are so stretched they have so much they're trying to do directors are focusing on a thousand things there's a thousand people they're trying to please and we are there like with such a priority for well-being and making sure this goes well and that people are feeling pleased and proud of this work that they're making so i think yeah it's partly just that that is our like real focus and something that we're particularly looking out for um when we step in is basically yeah, I mean, with those kind of two hats you're thinking about, particularly with the kind of well-being side of things, it's if things are just beginning to shift amiss. So whether that is, that could be for so many reasons, right? It could be that I'm just sort of sensing that something's, that someone's beginning to sort of tire or feel a bit uncomfortable in a situation um, or something is going on. It might not even be clear what it is, but part of being an intimacy coordinator is you're quite good at kind of reading people and have a sort of empathy and emotional intelligence in that way. So if you can just sort of sense that something's going a bit wrong, that you can step in and be like, you know, how are things going? And they can then relate to you something that you might have never imagined could have, no one could have planned for and that they can speak to you. If people are using sort of unprofessional, inappropriate language can be something that you kind of try and, and shift that, that sense of things we try and work in on like anatomical professional language, right? Um, but particularly step in if things are shifting beyond what was agreed. So if... Firstly, in the kind of most obvious sense, if you've agreed a level of nudity or a certain type of simulated sexual action, that will usually be in an actor's rider. Well, it has to be in an actor's rider. So that means that it sort of contractually actually can't go beyond that. So for the sake of production as well, if things start to shift and become a higher level of nudity or simulated sex than what's planned, 
I'm there to be like, oh, this actor actually didn't agree to that, even though they're sort of beginning to move into it. And maybe they're even saying that they're okay. Like, we just need to check in that they definitely are okay. But also, like, we have to stop and, and talk about this because that's not what's in the rider. And we won't get into the boring, like, technicalities of this because... But in the US, to my knowledge, I'm not American, um, you're not allowed in a SAG after after a contract to change a rider within 48 hours. In the UK, that's not a thing. So you can change it, but you need to step away and like, actually change that or else you might not be able to use that footage, right? So um, I might inter intercept in that way. If a director is just being inappropriate or trying to kind of do something, which I feel is like, um, like weaponizing sort of power dynamics or... Um, infringing on a on a performance boundaries um then i'll have to step in but um and then the other times i step in are when i'm like creatively this just looks terrible or like i think it's not telling the story we want it to tell like it doesn't make like sense and like i'm a queer intimacy coordinator if just often it'll be kind of like around the like queer mechanics of sex that i'm like that just doesn't queer viewers will not resonate with this um then sometimes i'll step in and be like we gotta do something here like just you know i'm and they can ignore me but like and i won't um put my foot down in, in such in the same way right if it's sort of creative reasons over well-being but um then sometimes i will uh yeah try and try and make a comment at least <laughs> have you uh watched dickinson no okay i only asked because uh some of their scenes was very reminiscent of a recent project that you've done and I wasn't sure if like you had any hand in that because it was it was very great I'll just okay. say that <laughs> okay okay great I'll watch it <laughs> uh is there a different approach you have to LGBTQ plus scenes yeah so I mean in in lots of ways no right that you're still doing all the same things you got to do you're still speaking to actors, speaking to directors, talking about the scenes, talking to costume, hair and makeup if you need to, stunts if you need to, assistant director teams, like all that stuff is still the kind of foundations of the work are the same. The differences are that around LGBTQ plus scenes, I have a bit more of an eye for kind of like what assumptions have been made around how this scene is going to be constructed. Um, and does this feel realistic if realism is what we're going for it's not always what we're going for does it feel realistic for um this type of sex and for this community um and i feel a bit more of a sense of responsibility to like the queer viewers right of going what how is this going to situate within like a body of work of like queer representation and you know because i i care about that that body of work and and how it situates within that going I might be more likely to say, just so you know, team, like we're doing something which is a bit of a trope within like queer representations. Um, it's not something which doesn't happen. It does happen, but just to know that like that might be something that people will pick up on, right? And I'm there for sort of production, the creative team, if they have those questions, because they might not know or might not, you know, they might be really excited about something which they think is a really interesting take on queerness. And I'm like, actually like the queer community is kind of like, we get that and we get that a bit too much. And like, it would be more, realistic or dynamic or interesting if we sort of skewed inside this way so there's there's sort of that creative side of things and then working on lgbtq plus content um i never like ask the the sexual experiences of the performers i work with of course like that is their personal life this is professional work there's a boundary between that um but i'm like more likely to explain either an actor might disclose that they don't know this type of sex or um but regardless, I'm maybe more likely to kind of make sure I'm really clear with the beats of what the sex will look like and what the feelings might be and how we might perform that. I mean, we do that whenever we never assume that someone has an experience of sex, no matter what you're you're doing. Like you always embed it in choreography and, and like kind of physical movement language. But um, with any kind of queer choreography and queer content, I might be a little like more clear and specific about those things because partly just I feel like it's not done well very often so I, I want to make it really clear and really good and because queer straight cis trans anything you're we've just seen less queer content so regardless of your actual identity you've seen it less you might just be like slightly less able to like feel like you can really confidently embody that so is everything really calculated 
rather than I guess the word would be like improv in a scene. Sorry about sirens. Um, yeah, so yeah, we, we, I'm not really in the business of improv, but um, but that's not to say. Um, and yes, we're really about choreographing it and making it clear within that. But that's also not to say that it's like aggressively like it has to be exactly this or I'm going to kick off like depending on the project and depending on the needs of the actors it can be about creating like a framework and a container for what something is and then what it's definitely not and then allowing there to be some like scope of, of finding it within that and then having a really robust sense of how you check in through that process so some performers I work with really don't want certain types of touch or certain type of kissing or whatever it is and we make that clear we'll go through that and make sure that their boundaries are going to be respected and then we might create like a shape of it or like some key beats we want to hit we might not absolutely everything every hand movement we might we might not say exactly what those have to be um and but that like some actors and and intimacy coordinators might you know will work a bit differently in that capacity but you know, I have a colleague, Lucy Fennell, who's brilliant, whose background is in improv, and she's really interested in how that intersects of like improv and intimacy, because sort of part of intimacy is informed consent, right? You have to be informed about something that's going to happen, and sort of that feels like inherently at loggerheads with improv. But actually, you know, she's really big on the fact of like how, and she's not the only one. I'm sure there's lots of people working in this field of like how you can actually marry that and. You know, there's there's truly like improv shows just doing improv who can embed a good intimacy practice into their shows. And I really believe that. Like, And I think us being too like, if you have any improv, then it's not intimacy and that's terrible. I think that actually just does a disservice because that is going to happen. There are improv shows. There are directors and actors who want to work with an element of improv. And that's okay as long as we have the kind of support system in place. That's my opinion. Got it. No, and that makes perfect sense. And I've, I've heard, I've read that in quotes of people being like, well, it takes the spontaneity out of it. But the marriage of the two seems like really the key because communication, trust, and, and all those things. Exactly. It's like, you know, you're going, yes, I want to be spontaneous, but I actually can't be spontaneous because all I'm worried about is that my co-star is going to touch this part of my body or do this thing that I really don't want them to do. And then I'm there to go, right, this isn't happening. This is the framework of what roughly needs to happen. Anyone got any problems? And you're like, yeah, I also worry that you're going to do this. And they're like, oh no, let's definitely not do that. And you go, great. Okay, let's like work this through and let's find spontaneously what happens with this kind of quality. And then you go for it. And then afterwards, someone says, that's perfect. Apart from this moment, I feel like it went a bit too far. Can we like not do that next time? And we go, yeah, great. Let's not do that next time. Like it, it doesn't have to be this like real, I think some people who say the kind of kill spontaneity think, thinks I'm going to come in with like a clipboard and a high vis jacket and be like, everyone stay away from each other and do exactly what I say. Or I'm going to like report everyone. Like that's not, this is about, I'm there to like make it work and make people feel like they can do their jobs in a like creative way that, that they're pleased about. So yeah, I think people just don't, Usually people who say that have like not actually worked with an intimacy coordinator. Like they just don't like <laughs> the idea of it. And they've just decided in their head kind of what it is. It's very strange. Yeah. And it seems like that would be, you know, advantageous, especially to an actor who's never been in an intimate scene on that level before. So how do you approach an actor if it's like, it's their first like sex scene ever? Like how would you approach that particular performance? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so nerve wracking, right? Like I think people... Some people are kind of like, oh, they're actors or whatever. It's like, well, no, like they want to be an actor. They don't necessarily know that they are going to have to do this. Or like, even if they think they might have to do it, it's still such a, it's a big thing to have to do at work in front of all your colleagues, then like go on lunch and then come back to work the next day. Like, it's very strange. So um, basically when I come to work with new actors, it's just, you know, actors are early career or even sometimes I've worked with actors who are not early career and they're like, look, I've managed to get through my career without having to do one of these scenes and, I thought it'd be my time at some point and look, here it is. It's my time. I have to do it. Um, it's just about being really clear with the process and, and really having space for them to ask all those questions that are in the back of their head. They're worried about so many times. There's just something that they're worried is going to happen. Or they've had a friend have a bad experience, which they're like, apparently this might happen sometimes. Like, is that a thing? And I can go, it can be, we're going to make sure that doesn't happen. Or like, this is what we do if that happens, etc. So, um, it's basically coming to it with no assumptions, really going from square one and explaining absolutely everything and then answering absolutely any questions they have because you just can't predict what is in someone's head. We're working with people 
and personalities and creativity. Like that's such a subjective space. So you just got to meet people where they're at. Um, so yeah, I just might give a little bit more time. I might ask production either to have a bit more rehearsal or to make sure we have rehearsal, depending what the content is. Some scenes they might go, oh, there's enough time to rehearse on the day. If it's something kind of lower level for some, for earlier career or, or actors who haven't had experience of intimacy, I might say, no, look, we really should have a time to rehearse this before. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really that. It's, but then sometimes I work with people who've done like tons of sex scenes and they still really want support through it. And then some people who it's their first time and they feel completely empowered and completely fine. So you like, the more I do this job, the more I think that I'll like settle into like knowing what's what. And actually just the more I go, you can never know. Like there is no, there's, you know, there's no, you can't assume that anything's going to be the case. You've just got to approach each project as it comes. I've seen a couple people, I don't remember who, who've been like in the industry a while, talk about how they don't understand why intimacy coordinators have to be there. I don't want to work with them. Have you faced any reluctance from people? Oh yeah, totally. It's a bit less, a bit less so nowadays, but like in those early years, it makes me sound like I'm ancient, but um, in those early years, working with people for the first time, there's a lot, yeah, weird resistance. Either like, you know, active resistance where people are sort of going, like, I don't know what this is or why I need it, or a sort of confusion that ends up as a sort of frustrated um, unwillingness to, to properly collaborate. Um, but it's much better now. Now I don't find I have such a problem. And there's people are now like, oh, okay, I've worked with one or two intimacy coordinators, like, this is fine. Um, but yeah, people people were worried that we were sort of stepping on toes that would tell people they're not allowed to do what they want to do even really recently i worked on something where the director came to me with a real energy of like don't worry like they don't have to do anything and we can keep it really small and we can just do like if they don't want to do it we don't have to do it like let me know if... and i was like i'm not here to like shut it down like i'm here to make it work and, and work in a way that people can be happy with this intimacy including you director so like tell me what you actually want and if you have quite bold ideas for what it is then tell me those bold ideas and it might not be possible but like i'm the person who can like help make that happen if you wanted to and he's kind of like oh okay and then i spoke to the actors and they were like could not be more chill about it so i could like actually help to carefully make something which was a bit higher intensity than he was sort of initially asking for because he was sort of really like low 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 um about it all and he was like yeah this is perfect and i was like yeah like look it's fine i'm here to like make it work um you're like, and that's my really, job. <laughs> literally my job to make it, make it happen in a safe way. So um, there was a lot of that kind of like winning over sometimes had to happen and um, having to be sort of hesitant and like not not look like, yeah, you're, you're going to um, ruin anything for people. And yeah, and with, I mean, actors were usually happier to have you there, but some actors as well were kind of, sometimes actors were a bit like burnt by the fact that this, that, you know, you arriving, then they're like, I haven't had this for years of my career and now you're turning up and like, you're going to just swan in and like make this a good process. Like there's a sort of weird resentment about it, which I can totally appreciate like how frustrating that must be to see it start to be done well. And then almost in that realize how badly it's been treated in the past. Um, or you've sort of had to like toughen up and like get a thick skin in order to be able to do it and then someone's like anyway you don't need that thick skin the same way i'm here to like help and you're like but i've built this thick skin because i've had to like what are you just i can't just like flick a switch and turn that off um so yeah so some of the some of the resistance is is you know terrible and based on just like not really wanting there to be a consent-based process but some of the resistance i sort of get a bit more of like yeah it's difficult and you know, I spoke to a director really recently who we worked well together and he was like, look, we've had a good time working together. But the first intimacy coordinator I worked with, they just like turned up one day and like directors, we had no training or knowledge. Like we weren't like given any tools for like how we meant to work with intimacy coordinators. Like it's quite a weird like dynamic. And I was like, yeah, like we've sort of all had to learn on the job. So um, I, I don't do this often, but to give a bit of <laughs> due respect to those directors having to work with intimacy coordinator for the first time and sort of slightly floundering with it, like, I do appreciate that there was a strangeness to that. But um, but there was also a real difference between the, the directors who are like, 
I don't really know what I meant to do with you, but yes, this is important. And the directors were like, I don't want to do with you. And I don't think this is important. Please go away. Um, but yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to picture a director just like, so is it a director's choice to have you there or not? Or is it like higher up on the chain? So now most kind of big production studios, it's like policy. They have to have an intimacy coordinator. So like HBO, Netflix, Amazon, BBC, I'm pretty sure, um, like all of them sort of have something which is like, if there's simulated sex, if there's nudity, you have to have an intimacy coordinator. So that is like a good basic. But then uh, when you get into kind of kissing, we're usually like, you should really have us, but it's sort of a bit less like essential, like policy based. And then all those intimate moments that I mentioned earlier that really you should have an intimacy coordinator or at least have to have a conversation around it, that can still be difficult to persuade people that it's needed. If it comes from an actor, usually then they're like, okay, fine. If an actor is like, I want the intimacy coordinator there, depending a bit on the actor and their status, like they'll be like, fine, let's do it. But um, to answer your question, so with, with that in line, usually it's a producer someone higher up who like engages the intimacy coordinator and then will say, all right, intimacy coordinator, you know, do a look at all the scripts and tell us when you're needed. And then there can be a little bit of like a, a negotiation of when you're exactly there and a really good production though. That means that I look at the script, have a chat with the director about what they're imagining, have a chat with the actors about how they feel about it. And then with the actors, the actors then are like, I actually feel completely fine about that content. Like I don't need you there as long as, X is happening and you've said that's going to happen, then great. And I'll be like, cool, fine. Like if no one needs me there, I'm not going to, you know, consent-based practice. I'm not going to turn up when no one wants me there. Um, or an actor says, look, I know this seems quite low intensity, but like, I really want someone there. I'm really nervous about it. And they might say, don't tell anyone that I've said you that, like just between us, I really want you there, but I want to seem really like aloof and like, I don't care. Like I'm worried about how I seem. I don't want to be seen as like a problem or a difficult actor. So then I have to go to production and be like, I've decided that it's quite important that I'm there for the scene. And then they're like, what? The scene seems really low intensity. And I'm like, but I just really want to be there. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, fine. Um, so then in productions, usually if they're good, are like totally, and a director can be a bit annoyed, but I'm just like, look, I'm coming. Um, yeah. But then sometimes I work with directors who are like so happy to have you there, right? I don't want directors to be like the directors are always the kind of barrier to it. Directors sometimes are like, what do you mean I have to like tell this actor how to like simulate an orgasm? Like, this is terrible. I don't want to have to do that. I'm not prepared to do that as a director. Please let there be an intimacy coordinator there who can like do, give me that language and I can speak to them in a frank way and they can then go and deliver that like in a sensitive way. Like, you know, obviously it's not just actors we're there for, it's the whole team, the whole crew, production, everyone. And um, yeah. Yeah, so it can happen. I feel like it would definitely be easier to have you there. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing. Like, worst case scenario, like, you know, you might just stand around and not do very much. But the comparison is, like, for ages, I'd always feel a bit, like, guilty about being there and then being like, oh, I'm not really doing anything. Everyone is actually fine. But then it is about risk, right? Like, if you have, like, a push, right? They might have the stunt coordinator there. And they do the push and they're like, actually, now we're doing the push. Everyone's fine. We don't really need a stunt coordinator. But thank goodness they're here in case this push became bigger or in case we needed, we decided we would push against the wall or he'd trip over or whatever. And no one would bat an eyelid about having the stunt coordinator there for that. And yet we'd be really guilty. Like, thank you so much for having us here. We're so sorry because it was this new role um, when we're there and then weren't really used. And ditto, like, there's a fire on set. The fire is very clear. There's loads of safety in where this fire is going to be in one place. No one's near the fire. Like, it's very safe, but they have to have someone there to make sure that if something goes wrong with the fire, there's someone there to like be in charge of the fire, right? So I think, um, yeah, like you say, best case scenario, you're really involved and like really doing things and it's and it's, that's great. Worst case scenario, you're standing around and everyone can just feel confident that rest assured, if something bad happened, there is the intimacy coordinator here. And, you know, sometimes I'm just there and I go, you're clear with what you're doing, director. And let me tell you, they're clear with what they're doing. Actors, you can come to me if you need, and they're like, great. And then everyone can sort of crack on and I'll check in and and I'll be there. But it's sometimes just being there at all that actually helps alleviate some stress and means that everyone can do their good work. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Do you ever just hang out at Crafty? 
Oh yeah, don't don't a good crafty situation crafty i should say tempt me with your american <laughs> i sound so british with like craft and craft i just sound like that's the most british i could possibly sound um english i should say um but yeah that's a that's a danger for me being able to do my job properly if i'm being wooed in by the good craft services as long as it's good <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, yeah that's true that's the that's the important thing all right. That one. Okay. I missed a question, which is why yes. we were. That's why I was deleting. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. That Back to it. And we can, you, there can be other questions. Don't worry about um, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> I didn't even have the question on my screen. That was the issue. <laughs> All right. So what is the difference between intimacy, direction, and coordination? So different intimacy professionals use slightly different language. For me and a lot of my colleagues, we talk about intimacy direction for live performance, so typically theatre, and intimacy coordination for recorded media. So music videos, TV, film, ads, etc. But some people say intimacy coordination for everything. Um, sometimes people, like, the, the, you don't hear it so much. Intimacy coach used to be used. We don't really, I don't know anyone who uses that <laughs> um, in terms of this work um to me that might be something more about like actual people people's real personal intimacy right like outside of film <laughs> exactly so i yeah. like, don't want any confusion that that's like that's not right. what i do you don't want me <laughs> up to fix your real personal marriage or anything um has anyone ever asked you something like that for like personal <laughs> in like in um like at parties and things people will be like oh so you do this this th that's part of that world i'm like no 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 that's really just this and um in another podcast i did recently they were like you know what's what are some kind of tools that people can use in their real lives and i'm like well there are sort of things that are inherent intimacy practice which are just good for people's real lives like communication real rigorous like consent-based practice so i can happily talk about that but like also clear that <laughs> i'm not here to help people coordinate their actual intimate lives um it's like a doctor going to a party, like, can, can you check this thing out? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also it's like, it's, I'm such a party pooper in a way because people will be like, oh my God, yes. Yeah, so what, like, how does that actually impact like real people's intimacy lives? And I'm like, really good consent practice. And they're like, all right. <laughs> like, you know, I think they want me to say something really like sexy or like scandalous or exciting or surprising. And I'm like, honestly, the best thing is like being really good at having a real fluency with consent and, and really like training that skill of how you identify consent and work with consent and use consent-based language. Like that is the best thing for working as an intimacy coordinator, which also translates to people's real intimate lives. But people don't want to hear that. That's not, that's not the kind of, uh, yeah, exciting answer they were hoping for. Huh. Um, have you had, uh, since, since you've been doing this for, for a bit, um, I, do you have any like memorable moments from like working with actors as an intimacy coordinator, like that you were like very proud of? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because a lot of the exciting moments are like little successes that come when you're working with people and you manage to just like navigate a little tricky situation well, and, and people can be pleased about it. Um, there's been moments I'm proud of when things have gone very badly. Like this happened very rarely. There's basically one instance that I remember that obviously I can't talk about in too much detail, but um, when things were going really awry and um, it was the first time I've been on set and that really happened and going like, okay, <laughs> having to like take that little step back and go, right. Okay. Things are things, people aren't happy. Things are really going wrong. And, um, and managing to just, you know, advocate for that actor and stop things going properly wrong and anyone being kind of long-term harmed um, or, or any boundaries being crossed in a, in a properly damaging way. Um, but, uh, but then also doing that in a way that the actor felt like supported and yet it not, for the actor's sake, not made into something that they didn't want it to be made into, right? They felt like they could carry on with the scene and have that support and, it, and um, Etc. And and that was kind of beyond the shooting of the scene of like how we dealt with that as well. So I felt proud of that. Um, there's scenes of queerness that I've worked on um, 
where I've watched it and been like, okay, wow. Like, I think that, I don't think that's, that scene exists for two queer people. Like, I don't think that sits in like a canon of theater, a, a canon of, of television or film that hasn't been seen before. And then hearing like queer people's reactions and um, it resonating with people like makes me feel very proud. Um, and like, I think it's really meaningful to think of particularly like representation as like more like loving and romantic queer sex. Um, I don't think like we get a lot of that um, and particularly like sex scenes between men are often represented as quite like fraught and conflicted and um, rough and sort of often quite loveless. Um, and whilst like we should absolutely have that representation of sex, like we have all representations of sex, um, like I think getting to, for people who are like, look, I'm, I think I'm queer, I am queer, and I want to just be able to have like a loving sex and want to know that it's possible for me in my future of like having just like nice loving sex between people and being able to be part of amongst the actors and directors and everyone, be one part of like helping to create that has, has felt very um, meaningful. Um, yeah, yeah, they're the kind of the big things that I've been proud of. Um, yeah, but then it's like, it's often, honestly, it's sometimes you'll work on a scene and it will seem quite straightforward and you'll get through it and it'll be fine. And then like the actual message you afterwards and say, thank you so much. I was so nervous about today. And you just made it really straightforward. And that's like what I'm all about. Right. Um, like it's sad that it, it, um, the people are so, are, are so worried about them. I mean, understandably worried about them, but it's partly because of the context of how badly they've gone for people in the past, but to be a, a part of making that a safer process and, more enjoyable process or when people are like that was actually really fun like a really good time i'm really proud of that scene like that that makes me feel very happy yeah that's wonderful to be able to get the validation i like that you gave those two examples the validation from the performers creators and then also the audience which i yep, feel like totally. sometimes the audience is missing so i'm glad you've had we're able to have both of those experiences yeah because sometimes the actors like are completely fine you know and they're like really like there's no like danger they're they're feeling pretty confident and and um, and so really then you get a chance to really craft something that you feel is meaningful and, and exciting for audiences that they can resonate with. And that that's so exciting to get to see that. And then, yeah, getting to hear people's reactions. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so fun. Is there ever a time where you feel like a project has too many unnecessary intimate scenes? Yeah, I've... I actually... I'm lucky to have not worked on things where I've gone, this is so obviously gratuitous. It's more likely to, rather than the scene existing at all, it's more likely to be like how the scene is like constructed. So going like, okay, there being a sex scene, it says at the bottom of the scene, like they are having sex or they have sex or like they start to have sex or something. And then you talk to the directors and the actors, et cetera. And then, you know, you can do that in a million ways, right? That can just be a shots of people's faces and hands and like, you can, it doesn't, just because there is a sex scene doesn't mean it needs to feel quote unquote, like gratuitous or explicit or anything like that. Um, but then sometimes people will, someone, whoever it is, will say like, I really feel like it needs to have this in it. Or like, I think we really need to do this. And I'm not in the business of like shutting everything down to be really limited just for the sake of it. Um, and to be honest, if, if someone goes like, look, this is just to feel kind of like shocking or feel like it is really kind of sexually forward and everyone's on board with that, then like, fine. I'm not really in, again, it's not really my place to go. This doesn't need to be there because right. Like there's lots of things that don't need to be there, but if people decide that it is sort of makes sense for the world of the show and everyone's on board with that, then fine. But my issue comes with if someone is like really pushing for some level of nudity or sex or act or whatever it is, that an actor is like, I guess like, yeah, I'm doing that in the other scene where I feel like it really makes sense. I don't know why it really needs to be here for this. Like, I don't have an issue with it in principle. I've done it, you know, before and, I, and I'm okay with it. But sometimes actors can get in a place where they, the fact that it feels quite unnecessary just also sort of makes them uncomfortable. Um, and in that case, then I'm really there to be like, look, like there's other ways we could do this. Um, but sometimes before it's even gone to the actor, if someone, a director or a producer, or it's in the script or, or anything, sort of implies quite a high extremity action, I'll at that point be kind of like, okay, 
what do you need to get out of the seat? Like, what do you want the viewers to to get here, right? Because sometimes then it's like, I want them to feel like really shocked or like really surprised or sort of feel creeped out or whatever it is. And I can go, okay, great. So you, you're asking for a level of nudity, which you think will achieve that. Maybe that'll be fine. But can I suggest that maybe we do it in this way or we could do it with seeing this reaction or with this kind of like, like physical reaction that we see, which is mainly just played out like above the collarbones, right? Um, or we can play it out in like closer shots or the sense of like muscles and their reaction or backs or whatever like this um, or hands pressed together, whatever it is, there's like partly I'm there to give like creative solutions, right? So even if that's not come, I mean, definitely if it's come from an actor saying, I don't want to do that, then I come in to go, the actor doesn't want to do that. You want to achieve this with those things. I think this is the best way to make you both happy. Um but even before that point, if I feel like they they think the best way to achieve something is by a really high level intensity, a high intensity level of intimacy, I might go, okay, like, can I suggest these like potentials for it? And then sometimes they go, oh yeah, that's way better. Or sometimes they go, no, for whatever reason, I really think this is the best way. And then I go, okay, great. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yes. Cool. All right. Uh, so you also have training in sexual harassment, bullying and harassment, unconscious bias, queer awareness, bystander intervention. How does all of those skills help you as an intimacy coordinator? Yeah. Yeah. So as part of that intimacy for stage and screen training, like you had to do those things as part of that. And I think a lot of um, training programs will say that you have to to do those 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 bits of training and um, we have to be adult mental health first aiders as well um so they're all like like different things but the i guess to take a step back it's to say you know we're working with sensitive content and we're there to be able to in those quite those spaces which are just a little bit more of um sight of risk like tensions are slightly to be higher emotions a bit higher um there's more likely to be some like sticking points or points where there's a challenge to what someone might feel comfortable doing and that little whirlwind of, of space means that those kind of elements of bullying and harassment I mean, bullying harassment, sexual harassment, obviously, um, all those things then are just like more, I, I feel slightly more likely to be kind of in play. But what's really important to remember is that, you know, we are there sometimes like 1% of the time, right? Depending on what the nature of the project is. And the productions just need to have a robust sense of this stuff, regardless of us being there. Um, like, and we're not there to be sort of bullying and harassment police, obviously, right? That is like HR, that is production, that is a separate thing. It is just for us to know about that because that will that will all fuse into how the intimacy is navigated from like a pre-production to post-production level, right? If there is a sense of kind of that bullying and harassment language or dynamic, then I need to be kind of trained in how to acknowledge that because that might be affecting what happens with the intimacy knowing what sexual harassment is and looks like in like it's true like actual um nuance of that i need to know when working on intimacy obviously lgbtq plus awareness obviously for just you know being able to work sensitively with those groups unconscious bias because again you know i'm working on like a very sensitive space and i mean everyone should do unconscious bias training but um but just particularly for that and then adult mental health first aid because we're working on content which has like a um a risk to it around emotional, psychological well-being. So you're in a space where you're more likely to expect to trigger response or trauma response. And so whilst, you know, you should have, again, like full mental health support for those people in, in a crisis and not just in a crisis. And so the preparation too, in terms of that first aid response, we're just kind of ready to deal with that because it might be something that yeah, they might be triggering content. Um, yeah, so that I think, I mean, it's, I really, you know, it's great to do for anyone and it's not difficult to do those trainings, but um, yeah, it's just an awareness of that being a kind of slightly more fraught space. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it's more so about the environment that you'll be working in and the power dynamics that happens yeah. and all that kind of nuance, like you said, that goes into like this particular setting as well yeah. as what you're coordinating. Yeah. 
Exactly. This it's a it's a beautiful, wonderful industry in lots of ways, and it's also a, a slightly scary industry in lots of ways in terms of it, it. There's a lot of money thrown around. When there's a lot of money around, there's a lot of urgency. The you know time means money, and people are rushing to get stuff done. And there's some you know big, powerful people in the space and not in the space and behind projects and like with all that in the mix, it's like it is just something you have to not take for granted as something which is just going to be fine, right? Like there's, there's a lot in play for people. And I think we forget, particularly those people who have been in the industry forever, and it's maybe the only industry they've been in, that they, you know, just take that little step back and going like, well, look at what we're doing and look at what's actually happening between these individuals in this space and what's at stake for people um, financially in terms of their career. And like, there's just so much on the line. So like, you know, you can't just think you're going to wing it and get by that. You have to be tuned in to what that really looks like. And I think some people don't like to look at that because it sort of exposes what a tricky space it really is. It's nice to just go, oh, but we're all sort of pals. And like, there can be a really nice family feel on set and on a production sometimes then sort of, and you're all there together all day, every day, and you sort of have to be pals or, or not. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. You know, it's, there's loads of joys to it, but there's real um, things to be wary of as well. So when I was looking you up for these questions. I noticed that you are also a theater director and started Airlock Theater Company, which has a play titled Lesbian <laughs> Space Drama. Please tell us more. Lesbian Space Crime, not just any old drama, a specific crime. Um, <laughs> lesbian Space Crime, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I, my background's in theater. Like I, as a kid, I was doing theater. And, um, at university, I didn't study theatre, but I did theatre more than I did my degree and then got into directing and then went out into the world and was assisting directors and... Um, I was assisting directors and creating theatre and new plays and um, yeah, I still do that. Yeah, so like in that creation of new plays and working on theatre, I set up airlock just really as a sense of like i'm making theater so i have to do that with a company in some capacity and in the early years it was a bit more like ad hoc and sort of figuring it out a bit and then sort of more recently um with my colleagues rose super and catcher hamilton we sort of established the company a bit more properly and now with eleanor colville we created lesbian space crime um last year which was sort of like a few years in the making because of pandemic slowing things down um which we performed at the soho theater in london off west end venue here um which is just sort of like a big queer musical romp um uh, a whole thing with airlock and, and, and theater creating is is about sort of more like interesting takes or like unseen takes on queerness that was really about the kind of pressures of um, representation of like pressures of feeling like you're an ambassador for a community when you might not want to be when you're in a sort of public eye position, as well as being a sort of like slightly older queer person um, in a sort of complicated marriage with a kid and um, and being a queer person in space <laughs> and, and how the sun is is queer as well. Um, so uh, as in the sun in the sky, not the sun. Yes. In the sky. I mean, we can all relate to being queer in space, right? Yeah, I mean, space is just so queer. Like, this thing about space, which is so queer, right? Because it's just like, what's it doing up there? It's sort of everything and nothing, like, classic. I mean, have you seen the colours in space? No. Oh, is it, like, the literally colours? I was like, what's this queer film called The Colours in Space? <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what's that? What, who's no, in it? No, it's got every colour up there. Exactly. Yeah, like, 100%. Like, maybe, like, black holes are more homophobic, but apart from that, like, it's all pretty, it's all pretty queer up there. We don't talk um, about black holes all the time. Um, yeah, so we did that, and now we're working on the next one, which is Pansexual Pregnant Piracy, which, um, based on a true story of Anne Bonny, who's a queer oh, um, yes. pirate, yeah, who yeah. Um, uh, was assigned female at birth and, and dressed as a man. On the, on the seven seas to be able to be a pirate and then got pregnant and then started to like, you know, get it on with this other pirate who turned out to be another woman pretending to be a man, to be um, man yeah. and who also got pregnant, Mary Reed. And so uh, we sort of used that as like, you know, finding your queerness and, and queer spaces and sort of like pregnancy and queerness. Um, yeah, it's, it's just so fun and so silly. And that is, that's real creative um, 
creating joyful times. But um, yeah. Your shows sound very interesting. I know. I, <laughs> I, I want to see them all. <laughs> yeah, we'll do the tour to America at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> Please. I can't wait. <laughs> Well, Robbie, it's been so great getting to know you better. Um, thank you so much for taking for talking to us today. Before we sign off, do you have any final words for the listeners at home? I don't think so. I feel like I've spoken loads. Um, Not I enough. You've <laughs> had enough of me. I guess if you're British intimacy coordinator, uh, you know, I'm I'm on the Beck to Union um, committee. Um, and we're doing lots of work with the Beck 2 committee to like kind of further intimacy coordination and intimacy practice in the industry. So like keep a lookout for that. If you're in the industry and kind of want to know more of how you meant to work with intimacy coordinators, like we have shooting guidance there. And also to say that there's the sag after strikes happening over in the US at the moment. I'm British, so I'm not covered by that. I think even the intimacy coordinators in the US aren't technically covered by it, but obviously they're striking in solidarity. And um and in that, there is a negotiation around intimacy coordination. And um, and I think that is something that, that people are sort of seeming to actually agree on amongst lots of things they're not agreeing on. So I'd like to think that um, with the with the strikes, there'll be a sort of a further support or or at least a kind of more concrete support for intimacy coordination kind of in the policy. Um, so just, yeah, my, my support and solidarity to all, all the people really on the front lines of haggling through all of that and how frustrating that must be and everyone striking. Amazing. So to everyone at home listening, make sure to follow Robbie on social media because um, he's awesome. And <laughs> check out Airlock Theatre Company because they're always going to have amazing shows, apparently. <laughs> they really, You really need to come to America. Okay, anyway, great. until next time, hydrate for lesbian Jesus and gay it up all over the place. Bye. Bye. Thank you. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. If you're listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, no matter how brief. It helps us get into Apple's algorithm to reach a wider audience. Please feel free to reach out to us. We would love to hear from you about everything and anything. You can find us on all the social medias at Big Gay Energy Pod. Or email us at biggayenergypod at gmail.com. If you'd like to make friends with other queer media-loving people, reach out to us to join our Discord server. If you'd like to support us, check out our merch store or join our Patreon for early access to episodes, exclusive content, and so much more. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for Lesbian Jesus.